And there's a list. I think it's a pretty good list. We'll see. Uh, Steve, did you see my email about warning you about something we might talk about? I, I, I did, and, and the cockles of my heart are several degrees okay. warmer. All right, good. good. All well, right. I, don't know where, I don't know where your cockles are right now, but I, I'm, <laughs> glad, I'm glad to hear that because <laughs> it's cold somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think maybe we've started. <laughs> could, 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 could well have. I think um, maybe we've started. Uh, uh, Steve, full disclosure, uh, in the last episode of Uncontrolled Airspace, which you have not had an opportunity to listen to because I haven't posted it yet, uh, we your name detail. came up. Uh, and the reason your name came up is that we were we were talking about the uh, what were we talking about? Or we were talking about the uh, the, the Alaska uh, Airlines door blowout incident. We were talking about the uh, chair of the MTSB taking pictures of the of the uh, missing the, the void, the hole in the wall uh, with with her cell phone. Yes, but using it in uh, portrait mode. In portrait mode, and. Uh, and I, and we and we Amy was with us last time, and the three of us weighed in. Uh, Steve, what? Yeah, and I know you're you're somewhat, somewhat, your your feelings are somewhat. No, to me, anyways, they're somewhat notorious on this subject. Steve, what is your thought on the NTSB taking official investigation pictures in portrait mode? Well, let me begin by saying that uh, this explains that that disturbance in the force. Yeah. <laughs> Which the NTSB taking portrait or us talking about you? Um, prob- probably both. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I, it's the if you if one is shooting video. Actually, I, I give I've given more than three hundred um, Civil Air Patrol cadet orientation flights, and I actually tell the cadet. Hey, can you know? Can I shoot video? You know, can I shoot pictures? Yes, you can. If you shoot video, FAA regulations require that they be taken in landscape mode. I'll okay. explain later, and uh-huh. you know, you shut yeah. the canopy. It's just a matter of. I mean, if there's truly, it's it's a matter of presentation. If you are, for example, you want to document a violation of civil rights or a thing that's going to be in front of a finder of law or fact. They're probably not going to flip the monitor in the courtroom or in the hearing room or where you are trying to make your case. And so you've just, you know, reduced by two thirds the the amount of screen real estate you've got to tell your story. Static images. I mean, for example, shooting an air show and somebody's doing an up and a down line with smoke. Yeah. Turn the camera sideways and have fun. And, And I'm sure it's not just because I like you, Jack. Um, okay. There are use cases for vertical video, but outside of like a McDonald's menu, I just don't see it. You, this is a this is a newer, gentler Steve Tupper. I'll tell you, I, I, you and I had this conversation a bunch of years ago, and you were adamant there was no place in the universe for anything other than horizontal pictures. I'm pretty sure this was your opinion. At I, one I think I think he's making the distinction between stills and video. I, I he did not make such a distinction in the past. That he said. May Oh, oh. I in 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 grave apologies. I'll shoot I'll shoot portrait if if the subject is manifestly portrait. For example, on on a door, uh, the chances are excellent that it is a it is a vertical subject. Mm-hmm. So a a vertical still photograph would be appropriate. But unless you're you're in pure information capture mode and you're never going to actually. Um, display this to someone on anything other than a vertical monitor. Yeah, the vi- the video element 
And, and if I if I misspoke earlier, I oh, okay. I apologize I, for for such you, things. You, but you I, I assure you, I'm every bit as as violently opposed to uh, um, to vertical video uh, now as I as I was before, only because I'm I'm on your show and your hangar. Yeah, I'm supposed to behave. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, where did you get the impression we expected you to behave? I don't understand. There, there are there are limits. How many I'm years sure. have we been doing this now, Jack? <laughs> I know, really. And people think they're supposed to behave. I, My goodness. <laughs> All right. So, but so now, so you're saying that this will weaken the NTSB's investigation by? Oh, that's right. You think because they were taking snap? No, no. That's. I'm sorry. Now I'm not, thinking through what you just said. Even if they were still photos, the fact that they are likely to be liable to be displayed in a, a a investigatory environment you think that you think that portrait is a bad idea it, 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 can it weakens be. the ntsb investigation is what you're saying um it depends <laughs> on how one is going to use the imagery if it's going to be displayed yeah okay. on, i'm trying to trick you into i'm trying to trick you into into back of back, course backpedaling here but uh but all right okay but what you all should right. be what you should be tricking him into saying is pretty much my position that um shoot them both ways uh the subject yeah. if it's a still if it's a still image still uh, a shot shoot them both ways uh, the, one of the uh, interesting factors being um, if you're trying to do a magazine cover, uh, portrait is better yep. th- than landscape. Yes. But yep. both have their, their uh, and I, you know, I do landscape for everything else, but if, if I think possibility I might use this thing for a magazine cover, boom, it goes portrait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and and leave room for the the, the titles, the, the magazine. Well, that's what makes, yeah, that's that what makes a, a good... Uh, uh, a good cover shot, a cover shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. There you go. Before we move on, Steve, do you have any, uh, all kidding aside, do you have any any thoughts on this door blowout thing for Alaska Airlines? Have you, uh, any any insights there? I've, I've just, you know, it's been a bad couple of weeks for Boeing, um, yeah. uh, a manufacturer for, you know, for which I have, you know, fond feelings. Um, I'm... I, I definitely have my thoughts about, you know, the manufacturing or maintenance process, and it's all I can do to, to, to not go off half-cocked about what I, what I think is going on because it doesn't take too many times being wrong about the speculation before, if nothing else, you know, I get embarrassed. Okay. But, um, well, see, then you don't belong on this podcast at all. Cause, it's... <laughs> cause, it's cause, we're 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 you know never mind okay that's all welcome folks yeah what go ahead i don't know my 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 sense is i mean from from everything i understand it's a it is a manufacturing not a somebody blew something in a d check um yeah it hasn't been through a d check it It does appear yeah yeah okay yeah it it yeah Okay, so, well, maybe we'll come back to that. Maybe we won't. But, okay, uh, yeah. okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Anyways, um, now I'm going to say welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from uh, high atop the banks of the r- literally roaring Cochico River here in uh, in Seacoast, New Hampshire, Dover, New Hampshire. It's uh, um, between the rain and the snow, all the precipitation we've had in the last two months, the rivers are just going crazy. And uh, um, it's kind of fun to watch. And so far, there hasn't been any damage in our area. There has been damage in other areas. Um, we had a nor'easter storm last week that uh, flooded the Oklahoma coastline. So it's, a, it's a, clearly a... Uh, climate climate change sea level change situation 
that's been causing problems. But anyways, that's what's going on here. Um, I uh, here in our virtual hangar talking to two of my very good friends. Um, it's and this week, unlike last week, this week it's it's uh, two northerners against the against the southerner or the Florida guy. Um, uh, sit with me here in our virtual hangar from uh, let's see now from the from the frozen. I looked it up this morning, Steve. It's uh, it's it's nearly as cold there as it, as it is here. Uh, from uh, from Motown, from the froze from the from the from the base of the mitten. How's that? From the base of the mitten. It's it's our friend Steve Tupper. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Honored and flattered to be here. I'll fix my safeties and um and let's go. Okay. <laughs> uh, the. Uh, it was cold, so so yeah, you're 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 getting temp- cold temperatures like we are here. I look, I look just now; it's like colder there now than it is here now. Um, but we had 14 degrees here this morning, so uh, whoa! And apparently, it wasn't quite that cold where you are. How's everything otherwise? You having a good time? I'm having more fun than I deserve, and and the weather hit at just the right time. Fafner, our tomahawk, is uh, at the vet for his annual. And having a smoke system installed, and uh, so yeah, it's a smoke it's, system on a tomahawk. Oh yeah. yeah, are you serious or is that a joke? No, I'm dead serious. And, and put, yeah, yeah, I, that is the kind of thing about which I would joke. But no, this is dead serious. <laughs> You're gonna put smoke on a tomahawk? Okay. You, you've you have of course seen Iron Eagle. Yes. I have yes. a buddy with a 150 Arabat. I'm sure we can rustle up somebody with a motorcycle. I am merely a Super D or a Satabria away from having an air show act that reenacts the race sequence um, without the without the art show aerobatics but you, you you could get some gigs with that ad i bet yeah, with, with that could. act i bet yeah there, there's going to uh, be there's going to be five people in the audience that get it but that's who we fly for. But they'll be up front screaming their lungs out. They'll yes, they will. Old, they'll be having a good old time. Uh, and also here in our virtual hangar is uh, uh, my other good friend from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. That's Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, uh, getting things done and uh, uh, moving the ball forward. Yeah, there you go. Uh, let's see now. What's going on here? Um, Steve. Steve, how you doing? I'm well. Let's kick things off by having you tell us a little bit about the pilot's legal guide. What's the pilot's legal guide? Oh, I, I, I felt semi guilty mentioning this to you because it's like you know Tupper wants to wants to you know come on the Tonight Show here from you know hawking a book, but behold, there's a book. Um, pilot workshops reached out to me last year, and they do a series of um, pilots uh, manuals. Uh, that are about 100 pages a piece, um, you know, color, uh, kind of, you know, lots of good graphic stuff in them, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the the um, instrument procedures guide and so on that said, hey, we you should write a pilot's legal guide for us. And, um, <laughs> and, and actually, I reached out to Jeb about how to do this because I've never had what I would call a book deal before. Um, and the idea was to have it all done by Oshkosh, so I didn't have to think about it. And, of course, it bled all the way to November. But um, the book is out. It's glorious. I'm really happy with yes, it. Yes, it is. Yeah. And um, it, was, it was a hoot to write. And uh, I did all of the editorial text. They actually had experts on staff who uh, vetted it and fixed a couple of what I would call my own major misconceptions. I wouldn't want to write that in a vacuum. But then all the graphic design is so is solely the uh, the pilot workshops guys, and mm-hmm. yeah. um, re- really worked out well. 
very proud of it. So, so give me an example or two in in you know of of how you're guiding people through the legal stuff of being a pilot. Sure, and th- this whole thing began with uh, misconceptions on pilot message boards. Okay, uh, and, and there just wasn't a good. I mean, there there's like maybe twelve or to fourteen areas where people really need to know how to log time, what maintenance can you do not do what's covered when's a hundred hour required um what do you do if you get a number to call it seemed to be the single biggest thing um and it was a matter of taking because there's a lot of misinformation too who was it ted sturgeon said 90 percent of everything is schlock um mm-hmm. There's a lot of schlock out there. The idea was to sit down. I probably read more than 100 uh, FAA interpretation letters, dug all the way into, like, you know, FAA order 8900.1 for stuff. So, for example, you get a brasher warning, which is the fancy name for, you know, the controller says possible possible pilot deviation gives you a number to call. There are some lawyers who will say, do not under any circumstances call the number. There are some who will immediately start talking about the FAA compliance philosophy, which, when well executed, is one of the best things the FAA has ever done. And as long as you can trust your Fed um, to actually follow that that view of things, there is a way to have an you know investigation, no action, or no investigation at all. But th- then. Another thing that most people don't understand is what happens if you go to war with the NTSB, with the FAA and the NTSB. Um, what are your chances of success? Who's going to hear it? How are they going to hear it? Is there bargaining and stuff like that? And we dug all the way through through that stuff. So mm-hmm. it was it was really educational for me. I um, hit up a couple of my buddies to just make sure that anything that I didn't do all the time, like purchase and sale agreements, rental agreements flight instructor liability that i got a a real view of uh, how that stuff is supposed to go Mm -hmm. and so would you say that this is mostly of interest to airplane owners or or, are renters going to be interested as well or uh what's the audience here Yep, everybody is uh, all GA folks. Less so by the time you get into part 135, 121, the sort of um charter there there is stuff about commercial operations if you've got a commercial certificate what can you and can't you do and it goes through like part 119 you know it kind of throws you out of the funnel if you're aerial application or some of this other stuff but then wet leasing holding out what does that actually mean mm, um okay. and and it's written in a really conversational way i mean an example i mean if you have a commercial pilot certificate, your check airman probably asked you on the check ride what holding out was, and you mumbled off a couple of bullet points, and if they were anywhere close to it, the DPE just shut up and changed the topic because nobody understands that anyway. Okay. And the objective yeah. was to put some meat on that bone. Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're a renter, if you're an owner, if you're going to buy, if you're going to sell... Um, not as helpful when you get into niches like um, if you're all rotorcraft all the time. Not right. as helpful, but still pretty helpful. Uh, there's stuff on light sport. There's stuff on experimental. Um, there's, but you know, by the time you get to one, you know, real 135, 121, going to be less helpful. But I think we get the biggest chunk of the pilot population by hitting those areas. Sounds great. Sounds great. Um, we're going to say this URL again at the end, but uh, people want to learn more about the book, um, you can go to pilotworkshop.com. 
And, and uh, for and for what it's worth, I'll jump in and say I, I've got a I downloaded a copy for my Kindle. I haven't finished it, but um, uh, it's it seems very useful and it's, and it's well done. Uh, I didn't see any typos. You know, editors look for stuff like that. Um, <laughs> Can't help it. I get it. Yeah, no, it's just it's just baked into the cake. Um, and uh, I, I would highly recommend it if someone needs to uh, get a better idea of, of what the legal obligations are of being a pilot in the U.S. Yeah. Cool. Sounds good. Congratulations on completing that. I've done a long time ago. It's been a long time, but I, I wrote a book about computers a long time ago. Writing a book is is not a small task. No. And uh, um, congratulations on just simply accomplishing the legwork. That's a big deal. And uh, sounds like a great subject. I wish you well. You're you're very very kind. And, th- and thanks for letting me uh, let me flog it because no, I'm well, really proud of it. You're very welcome. If Rodney you like... Dangerfield's up next. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no. He, he's, he's going to be playing Vegas next week. We, no, so, yeah, see, we gotta, we gotta... That's what I was just going to say. I was going to Steve, if you were like selling knives or other kitchen utensils, uh, we probably would not let you plug it. But this is an aviation thing and it sounds yeah. pretty useful. So and, and I can't and I can't do this all day. Yeah. That's right. There we go. <laughs> that's right, that's right. There we go. Mom um, never liked me. Yeah. <laughs> The other thing I wanted to ask you specifically, Steve, about is uh, so uh, as because because you didn't have enough certifications and accomplishments and you know uh, 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 entries in your logbooks. Um, you've now followed in Jeb's footsteps and um, recently got your ATP. Is that right? I did. Yeah. It's all about being as much like Jeb as we can. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. What? We'll have that conversation offline. <laughs> well. All right. Let's assume that's not the case for a moment, and and tell it why. Why did you? What? Why did you want to get an ATP? And you got your ATP in what aircraft? In the Piper Tomahawk. Yeah. Okay. The see, the see. mighty 112 horsepower, 85 knots indicated at five gallons an hour pilot maker. Yeah. So before they're going to let you fly a triple seven, you got to like. There's a few more check rides you're going to have to accomplish. But, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But anyways, why? Well, what? Why did you? Why did you uh, uh, pursue this? Low self-esteem. I, <laughs> yes. I, I, I require more letters after my name. Uh, and, and 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 look, collecting the certificates and ratings um, really is kind of a thing. Um, and, and I don't have any excuse for it, but there are a couple other reasons. As you know, we are part 61-ing Fod's butt to the airlines. Yes. And if I'm going to ride him like a rented mule about getting his certificates and ratings, I really do owe it to him and, frankly, my other students to show him, hey, look, I to show willing, I'm going to go out here and torture myself, hold myself to a higher standard. And I guess the other thing is I'm at a point where, and, and please don't take this as me telling you I'm important, I'm not, but like at Detroit, you know, I'm the air boss, I'm one of the senior instructors, you know, they're instructors better than me, but I'm one of the senior guys, and, and I get to fly the Warbirds. Um, there are relatively few folks who will question me or hold me to account from a professional standpoint, even though maybe they should. And I kind of owe it to myself and to my students to go out there and do a really hard thing, fly with a really experienced and helpful DPE at a, it's like a commercial under the hood for the maneuvers, Mm -hmm. and then an instrument check ride with only quarter scale deflection allowed. Mm -hmm. And so just the... To go put yourself through that, especially if you're not being frequently evaluated by others, you owe it to yourself to go out and and cause yourself to be evaluated by a really senior airman um, and that. And I guess the other, the last thing is, 
yeah, there might be commercial drivers that are out there throwing skydivers out of the, the aircraft or, or flying rubber dog poop. Um, having an ATP sounds cool, but of course we all remember that um, CTP training became required. And before you can even take the knowledge test, well, that's only the case for multi-engine. Correct. If you want to get an ATP single engine, there is no endorsement either for the knowledge test or the check ride. Only if you hook either one and you got to go back and retake, then any double I can can sign you off. But that is, you know, if you were looking to up your game and you don't want to drop the tens of thousands of dollars or whatever it, or the airline gig it might take to otherwise get CTP. Uh, ATP airplane single engine land is a thing you ought to look into. It's a challenge. Yeah, really. Yeah. Jeb, you have any questions? Uh, yeah, one no, ATP I, to I another? was going to echo what Steve said. I uh, I was fortunate enough and and uh, had to uh, had the time uh, both logged and and spare to uh, get the multi engine version before they uh, re- changed the rules. And required um, some official ground school and, and mega bucks and things like that, um, and it definitely made me a sharper pilot. Um, just flogging, just building up some multi time, and flogging a Baron up and down the East Coast, uh, and doing it to build time. So the handling was, you know, I had the power pulled back, um, so the handling was not as crisp. Uh, uh, really had me focusing on keeping things within the. You know, the one dot displacement and and 50 feet and uh, things like this. It it really made me a sharper pilot, at least for a while. Uh, uh, That was several years ago, and I've lost a step or two uh, on flying instruments. But uh, uh, it's quite an accomplishment. Congratulations, Steve. And uh, uh, it will serve you well down the road. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Congratulations. Moving on here. so here's a story that we talked about. Um, I'm pretty sure we talked about it on a past episode. Uh, it, it, this is a uh, an aircraft. Uh, let's see, you know, it's a, a, a Airbus 320 uh, from Ural Airlines, um, which is what is is Ural Airlines Russian or I'm not sure. Anyways, Ural Airlines um, that landed off field, um, which is an accomplishment in itself, and a, a props to the crew that managed to put this thing down on on basically grass or, or you know, turf or I don't know what it is, but it's, it's not pavement. Um, as a result of... Uh, more, more importantly, putting it down in one piece. Yeah, literally in one piece. I mean, it's like literally rolled to a stop. We see a picture of it here sitting sitting on this ground. Um, and uh, um, and that, and they had this plan. And this is the part we talked about. They had this plan where they were going to wait. They, they had kind of repaired the airplane and checked the airplane out and done whatever you needed to do. And we're going to wait till the till the the time of year when the ground firmed up really well and then they were going to uh, try and um, t- um, take off with this airplane to get it back where it belongs they've apparently changed their mind and decided that they're not going to try and fly it out of this field um, that they're actually going to scrap it on this on the loc- on location and uh, it's uh, this is from a story from uh, avweb uh, avweb yeah this is avweb uh, Euro airlines has scrapped plans to fly an a320 out of the Siberian field because uh, it's worth too much in parts the airline was forthcoming in its assessment of the risk reward balance of the venture last year went with the least risky of the two um 
so they've started cannibalizing the plane. I'm now, now I'm, I'm uh, paraphrasing here. Um, they started cannibalizing the plane, and uh, they expect to now, you know, basically, all, it's, you know, I don't know whether they'll eventually have big pieces they'll truck away, but uh, I don't know. This is a commentary on something. Uh, any thoughts on this, uh, Jeb or Steve? Uh, or? Some must die so that others may live. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, yeah, they... Uh, I, I don't know what to make of this. It's it's interesting because apparently, you know, it's like this is an airplane that, I mean, maybe, is this true with the whole fleet? Is just about any airplane that you might point your finger at worth more in parts than it is as an airplane? Um, I don't know that that's true. It depends on the airplane. It depends on the location. Um, you know. I'm I'm aware of a local local being based in in my in my uh, neighborhood um, airplane. I won't divulge the maker model, uh, but it's been pretty much a hangar queen for five or six years. It uh, had been fairly active for a while. Um, it, I think it changed hands a couple of times too, but it remained here in the neighborhood. And. Uh, um, I, I was walking by that hangar the other day, and uh, whoever, I don't know if it's the owner or mechanic or somebody, um, was running it up. They pulled it out of the hangar, and uh, I don't know, if, yeah, maybe 1,500 RPM, something like that. Uh, and um, for whatever reason, they were doing this, and then put it back in the hangar, left the cowling open, and uh, I haven't seen it move or haven't seen it being evidence of it being touched since. Um, and... It's an older airplane. It's it's not all that popular except among a certain uh, uh, a contingent of the pilot population. Um, it's got a nice big engine in it. I don't know what kind of avionics it has, um, but I kind of wonder if it is not worth more in parts, more parting it out um, than it is sitting in the... Even if it got annualed and, and, and started flying again, uh, I kind of wonder if it's not worth it. I don't know. I don't know. It depends on a lot of factors, not least of which is engine time. It depends on if the engine needs any work. Um, for all I know, you know, in a year from now, we could be drinking beer out of the out of the sheet metal, and the engine's going to be on an airboat somewhere. I don't know. Oh well, yeah, that's a possibility. Stephen, any thoughts? As an embittered economics undergrad, it really kind of depends on time and place utility. Uh, as far as, you know, value of parts versus value of the airplane intact. And then, you know, what nobody wants to see an A320 come out of a, uh, an otherwise unimproved field more than I do. <laughs> yeah. Because really. that kind of crap appeals to me. Yeah, that would um, be a cool thing, yeah. I, I, I landed an airplane in a guy's backyard for the first time last year just because the only guy who could work on our chief um that's where he is and it's the only way to get the airplane to him mm-hmm. um but you know seeing like a transport category jet go off a field it looks like there's plenty of room to do it um but yeah it, it really depends on what's the you know what's how much are the parts worth if they are found a quarter mile off the end of the strip um after the airplane cartwheeled in an attempt to get it out of there so that yeah really and and yeah. all and also, what's the value? You know, what's going to cost you to pull them off? Are you do you have a ready market for it? Do you have a way to warehouse it? And you know, it is Siberia for goodness' sake. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. That's kind of the thing. It, it, they kind of, I don't know, I'm of, of two different minds here. Um, in Siberia, it should be fairly cold, and the ground should be fairly hard. And you kind of wonder, in, in that environment right now, um, not going to get a whole lot of corrosion being uh, um, uh, fostered. So maybe you just leave it where it is. I don't know. Well, um, according to the story. It seems to a, me they'd fly it out when the ground's cold and hard. No, and apparently, according to the story, this is a Russ Nile story in Avweb. Um, I believe it's in this story, but I read someplace that the ground got plenty hard enough for them to do this. Uh, apparently, it was more of an economic decision. Um, they said that uh, a big part of the equation was that um, because Russian airlines are, 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 as it says, scrambling for parts because of the uh, sanctions that have been imposed on Russia because of the uh, the Russian invasion invasion of Ukraine, um, the, that's made the parts more valuable in Russia than they might have otherwise been. And so because the pieces parts were so valuable compared to the, you know, it's not, it's not without risk trying to take off in this situation. And so they just kind of did a risk reward kind of thing and said, you know, we're going to take it apart. And that's what they decided, apparently, according to this story, anyways. Yeah. Airlines is a Russian carrier. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyways, well, that's, you know, I suppose you know. Well, okay. See, I'm, I'm, I. Uh, the the ne- one of the thing we're going to talk about later on in this podcast, not, podcast notwithstanding. All right, I am a Boeing fan, and so I doesn't. I, I'm not going to shed too many tears about losing an Airbus, but uh, I I have many friends who love their Airbuses, and so yeah, we're going to one less Airbus in the world. Um, there we go. Okay. What's next here? Oh, unleaded av unleaded. Avgas. What the heck? So a uh, story in the news just this past couple days ago um, is that uh, um, Philips, uh, Philips 66, the fuel company, um, who had apparently, and I guess I'd heard this, but I'd forgotten, um, had been developing an unleaded um, um, Avgas, um, has decided to suspend their program. Um, they apparently reached a uh, a bump in the road that 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 was too big a bump, um, according to this story. Um, again, an Avweb story. Again, a Russ Nile story. Um, that uh, that they had been running this new test fuel on a and um, on a on a on a, uh, a uh, you know um, a test stand, engine stand mounted test engine right. Um, and after running it for a while, they discovered a buildup of. Of what was it? Magnes- manganese. Manganese um, on the pistons or in the cylinders, um, which doesn't mean any doesn't mean very much or anything to me. But the people in the comments were kind of like, "Really, manganese? Um, I don't know. Would you guys know anything about the chemistry of this or or, or about the story, Jeb? This seems like it might be a thing for you. Do you? Well, you- I kind of I kind of concur that some people have pointed out that manganese is not a normal in, in quantities that that uh, would foul spark plugs. Is perhaps not a normal uh, formulation for Avgas. I don't know. Uh, well, yeah, from, I mean, what, from heads or tails, whether yeah. that's true or not. Well, one one would presume that this is possibly part of whatever it is they're trying to put in there to to increase the octane. Um, but I don't know. You know, and I'm sure it's some sort of trade secret, so it's not like they're going to explain it to us. Yeah, well, there's there's you know, some obfuscation going on here, for example, but. Uh, the other thing that that uh, about this that uh, kind of has me scratching my head is um, they're still embracing the old PAFI program. Well, yeah, the, the Piston, Piston Aviation Fuels Initiative, PAFI, which 
I thought had been dead and buried and, and the people who kicked over the tombstone. Like, uh, it's 04, it's 24 now, so, you know, uh, eight, ten years ago, I thought Pathy had, had been nailed shut. Um, and now they're trying to revive it. This is all through the, the Eagle program that we've discussed in the past. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't know what to make of this. I'm sure, um, although I'm not, I'm not sure. It, it strikes me that, you know, someone, uh, queued up, a, um, an IO, um, 360 and started running it in the test cell and they broke it. And I was like, how do you, how do you break an IO 360? Um, well, they may not have broken you know, it, but they fouled the plugs bad they enough. They fouled the plugs, and that, that just strikes me as, as odd all yeah. the way around. And yeah. it may be that, uh, oops, you know, it was, there was a misplaced decimal point in the manganese content of this fuel. And they said, oh, oh, yeah, we shouldn't have done that, should we? So stop that test, and they'll come back for it. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Don't know. From the story, it doesn't sound like it was that obvious a problem because they, they're, they're, you know, they're noncommittal about restarting the program. I mean, they said it's not out of the question, but they're, they're not. They're, no one's confirming anything. Yeah, so. right. So, anyways, it's all, it's all um, we know that Paffy hasn't gone away. We talked about this on on an episode um, somewhat recently yeah, about this. Lyondell Basil Racing Fuel Company's also still got a fuel. sticks in my craw. Yeah. Uh, What's, and, and, um, yeah. Um, Why? The, last, the last paragraph um, uh, mentions the Lyondell Basil uh, VP Racing Fuels concoction. Um, Swift is another contender. Uh, it's not clear from this article, but I, I kind of sort of know the answer, uh, that um, uh, Gammy's uh, G, G100UL fuel is not part of this test. Yeah. No, well, yeah, right. Not, so. not part of the Eagle process. No, no apparently not. I mean, that's, any, any and that's others, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I kind of... I kind of lost the flick on this whole subject because it's so complicated and it's and it doesn't make sense to the extent I do understand it. And so, yeah, but the yeah. gammy thing is is STC and something else. Swift Fuels is STC, but then there's others that are trying to go this certification. Well, Swift, Swift Fuels STC for uh, uh, engines that do not require 100 lumen. Right. Right. Um, so and they are they are working on an STC. Yeah. For its 100 low lead uh, um, replacement. Yeah, Steve, any thoughts on uh, on uh, unleaded fuel or avgas replacement? Craziness? Yeah, I'm I, I'm a fan. Fafner, the Tomahawk already has the uh, the Gammy STC, um, even without any immediate um, threat of it being available within <laughs> our operational radius. But yeah. I, I'm a fan of getting it done. For a number of reasons. I mean, I, I kind of care about what I'm spreading or over the neighborhoods near the airport. But, you know, it's an O two thirty five, 35 and I pull the plugs on the thing every every 100 hours. And, man, I would – it would be really cool to not have, have all that lead fouling. Um, the – I'm I'm very much interested in who's going after STCs and the process by which they do it. Um, I am perhaps much more interested in how this works out in terms of getting it to a pump where I can put it in my aircraft. And if so, you know, is it going to, you know, there's G100 unleaded here, there's the, um, the Swift there and, and so on. Um, 
I did notice that the little sticker that comes for each of the fuel tanks only goes about a, a fifth or a quarter of the way around the opening, mm-hmm. um, suggesting, whether intentionally or otherwise, that you know a fully capable a, a, a GA aircraft fully capable of burning all of the alternatives might have uh, STC stickers around the entire circumference of of the uh, of the fuel filler neck. That makes sense. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I, I considering how how chaotic this whole process is, I'd be surprised if anybody had the foresight to do that. But you never know. You never know. Could be. It could be, and it could be just a federal, just kind of a standard rule. Anyways, all right, uh, moving on here, and we're back. We fixed Jeb's mic. My fault. I should have caught it. I didn't, but it seems better now. Uh, so here's a new feature. This is going to be a new feature. This is going to be a. Re- I get the. I'm sorry. I'm being. I'm being facetious and a little bit, a little bit uh, rough. But this is a new feature in the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast. We're going to call this the Poor Poor Boeing Podcast. All right. <laughs> poor. This is the Poor Poor Boeing. Pro, pro, portion of our podcast. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, as Steve alluded to earlier, uh, it just seems like poor Boeing is in the news on a pretty regular basis, either because they've, you know, um, gotten themselves in a jam, or or people have gotten them in a jam, or they're just sort of the bystand, innocent or, or unfortunate. They're, they're, they've become the punching bag. There's a story. So two Boeings uh, swap paint on the ground. Yeah. Right. And it's a uh, Boeing story with with we're at Chicago O'Hare, and the lead basically says two Boeing planes collide. Oh yeah. my God! Run for your lives. Yeah, well, it's a good headline. And, now. and, and for God, <laughs> and and it's a, it's an Associated Press story. That's what the headline says. And you're just you're just shaking your head. Don't these people understand? Hey, two Fords collided down on Main Street. Oh yeah, right. And exactly. We we there's a problem with all Ford product. I don't get it. Yeah. I no. It. Oh well. I'm sorry. I mean, I get it. I, get I think it, you do get it. Yeah, right. I mean, we, I do we, get it, but it's it's, it's it's unfortunate. We deserve we deserve better. Yeah. Well. Okay. Yes, I, I agree completely. What do we got here? In any particular order here? Um, so yeah, we've got the two planes that just collided on the ground. You just mentioned that. Is there anything to that story, or it's just a thing? It's it's, it's just a th- it's no. It's a nothing burger. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. It's like it's like oops. This these things happen. Be more careful next time. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I take it was it was like they they what clipped wingtips or something like that. What happened? I I don't know the details. Yeah. Okay. The, All right. It doesn't it, really matter. Yeah. Right. Okay. Here, All right. the, the the headline is ground collision of two planes in Chicago. Well, that now it says something different. It didn't say that. Yeah. It, it yeah, said at the time. Yeah. It went up. It said. Um, it's what we've got on our FAA list. FAA investigates after Boeing planes yes. collide on the ground in Chicago yeah. O'Hare. Yeah, we captured they changed the head early, early on. Yeah. So yeah. okay, all right. Well, that's that one. Let's see now. Um, so things are not getting better with for the Boeing Max um, inspections. What's going on there? They keep finding stuff. Yeah, I mean, last I heard, they were just they were finding a lot of loose bolts. Is that basically what they're finding, or are they finding something well, else? I think we have to separate a few things. Um, apparently, and I haven't, I'm not really up to par on the latest story, uh, latest status report, um, but they are finding or have found problems with other uh, Max 9s and specifically Max 9s with this particular fuselage plug, uh, emergency door plug. Uh, um, uh, uh, built into it. 
Yep. Um, it's not clear to me. Uh, apparently, there, there are four bolts that are of concern with respect to the. Uh, um, what was the other? What was the carrier's? Um, Alaska, oh, Alaska with the Alaska Airlines flight. Yeah. Uh, it's not clear. The last I heard, whether they were completely missing or misinstalled, and and they haven't gotten around to doing the research to which they can do uh, to figure out what was going on with that. But United had had five airplanes that were problem children. Uh, for the same reason, after this inspection, and uh, I think the rest of the uh, the fleet in the U.S. anyway uh, has has yet to be fully inspected. Overseas carriers, I think, are inspecting their aircraft. They don't have to comply with with uh, uh, the FAA uh, AD unless they fly it into the U.S. and probably won't be doing that. Yeah. Um, so there's all that, but there's also a loose bolts in the rudder control mechanism. Right. That was a in, separate... in some some maxes. Uh, Max nines. I'm not sure, um, and you know, so we have to be careful about talking apples and apples. Right. Um, now, but it um, is Boeing and Boeing, and uh, it is it is Boeing. Um, yeah, and it's unfortunate. Uh, it is but, it is Max nines or Maxes anyway. It, it, yeah, I was going to say, is it nines? I know it's Maxes, but because uh, yeah. it's Max eights and Max nines, and right, yeah. So yeah, Max tens too. Well, so yeah, well, seven seven eights and nines, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um. It so turns out. Are we yeah. having fun yet? Is, is I know, right? <laughs> yeah. So now, I, I, I kind of like went on a little bit of a tear last episode um, because I was a, somewhat astounded by the fact that the cockpit door popped open. Right. Um, I think you and Amy were a little bit surprised, but yeah. not as surprised as I was. Turns out I'm not alone in this. Um, there's a, apparently a lot of pilots were surprised by this and troubled by this, and. And after people started looking into it, apparently it's been discovered that this was not a bad latch. This was, they're supposed to do that. This is literally, they're designed for the cockpit door to open on this kind of a pressure differential. Um, and, uh, and, and apparently a lot of 7-3 pilots didn't know this and they feel. And it's, it's not clear to me, there's, there's two or three stories here. Uh, one by uh, Christine Negroni, uh, which who is a uh, well-respected, long-time uh, aviation uh, transportation reporter. Um, she, her headline is basically, it's not just the 737 MAX. Cockpit doors will open on most airliners in such a situation. And um, we joked in that last episode about... Hey, um, any, any terrorists want to get to the cockpit? Just decompress, decompress the airplane, depressurize the airplane. Yeah, and you're kind of scratching your head, saying, "Huh?" But apparently, that's a thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know enough about um, Part Twenty Five aircraft certifications to to know if if it, this is indeed a thing, uh, and certainly not enough to know why it couldn't be accomplished in some other fashion. Yeah. Yeah, and and so not to extend the uh, the uh, uh, I don't know I'm going to call it controversy, but maybe it's only controversy to me. Um, so that, that I think it's the Christine Negroni story had an illustration in it, and uh, had a couple of illustrations, but one in particular showed a drawing of the of the cockpit door, and it specifically showed the the sort of handle from the inside from the from the cockpit side, um, and it had three positions. Long story short. Apparently, there's a mode for that door such that it can be opened from the outside if you know a code. 
Does that make sense? Are you know what I'm talking about here? Um, Is this the, the key operable versus in, inoperable? Hang on a second. Let me find the actual thing and refresh my memory here. Sure. Um, the point I'm trying to make here is that I've always been under the impression that this door was very nearly impossible to open from the cabins from the cabin side, um, and uh, and we keep keep coming across uh, 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 you know examples of where it's not here. Hang on. I'm trying to find that picture. Where'd it go? Here. Here's the christine negroni story and i'll open this link and go here and where's the so yeah there's three third illustration down um and it uh, oh yeah that's it does say key operable i thought i saw someplace else a reference to uh there's a mode where it can be opened with a code from the outside but uh, now I'm, I'm gonna have to dig for that maybe I, i'm pretty sure it's in here someplace but long story short the door can be opened from the outside if you know the magic and that strikes me as being a bad, you know, and that was a fine when nobody knew that, all right? But as the world is starting to tumble to the fact that these doors are openable, because I, I think I think the inability to get on into the cockpit, onto the flight deck, has been one of the key reasons why we've seen no tragic repeats of, of, of hijackings in, in quite a while. Um, there's other reasons, but that's one of the big ones, I think. I don't know. Well, so, I, think, I think also... Um Prior to 9-11-01, um, crews were trained to just comply. Right, um, yeah. Some, so a terrorist or a, a perp- perpetrator with a uh, armed him, his or herself in some fashion, um, it, the, just comply, get the airplane on the ground is what they've been trained to do. That obviously didn't work all, all that well right. uh, uh, back in 2001. Uh, I don't know what they're trained to do now. They're probably trained not to allow anybody in the in the cockpit. There I, I yeah, I would imagine. I, I I don't think we should know because it's best if that's kept a secret. But, exactly. Uh, exactly. Um, but um, the, the only few times I've nibbled around the edges of of cockpit doors with uh, airline captains, I didn't get very far. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and by the way, the other another big reason. They, they, people speculate why, why there haven't been repeats of, of, of uh, tragic hijackings is, the, is the, the sort of realization now that the passengers are not going to sit still either. That's true, too. Um, and uh, that there'll be at least one person, you know, there'll be multiple people on board who are going to step up and say, you know, uh, anyways. So the doors are, are designed to open when there's a pressure differential, which, okay. I don't know any any final thoughts on that. I just it's not just me. This is I'm just I'm just crowing because I I, 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 yeah. I guess I, I guess I come I come back to isn't there another technology that we could be using here, uh, like a, a diaphragm in the door that pops when the pressure uh, well, differential rises above a certain rate. I, 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 I don't I don't know. Yeah, that that was my thinking too. Well, no, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's this story that refers to, yeah, decompression panels. This is the graph yeah. just above the drawing. When the breach happens in the cockpit, decompression panels on hinges swing open, allowing a path for pressurized air. Um, but apparently those decompression doors, according to this story, and I'm reading it all here, I think I read it a while ago, I think what it says is that that right now those decompression panels are only designed to to activate if the high pressure if the low pressure is on the flight deck um, and uh, not the other way around. So anyways, there we go. Well, maybe. Okay, sure. Okay. So what we're, what you're telling me is we need to, to cut another hole, 
take the take the original door panel, uh, flip it around, and have two of them on the same door. Yeah. Well, I, I, whatever I fastening yeah. whatever fastening technology they use for the door plugs, they should just use it for the decompression. <laughs> <laughs> you know, paging Adam Savage. Adam Savage, please pick up the white courtesy phone. Yeah, That's I right. know. Well, right. he doesn't bust myths anymore. So, but uh, yeah, okay. All right. He'd do this for you, Jack. You know he would. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Sure he would. For, for, for He's science. a listener. Sure. Yeah, sure he is. Sure he is. Uh, so, Boeing. That's, uh, I don't know, anything else about Boeing? Or is that is that the uh, is that our, our the conclusion of uh, poor, poor Boeing segment? You don't need a jingle for the segment yet. Yet. Okay. Yes. All right. You don't need a slide and a jingle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But... But I'd put money on this subject's going to come up again. Uh, oh yes, unfortunately, oh, yes. unfortunately, because I, I, I'm, you know, I want to love Boeing. I used to love Boeing. I, I kind of still do love Boeing. But uh, well, there's really, no reason not to. Yeah. The, but the only it, the only reason that Airbus didn't catch a bunch of flack after the Air France 447 uh, crash is no one understood what a pitot tube was and couldn't pronounce it if they had to. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right, there we go. Requires a pilo to yes pronounce that. Yes. Ooh, I see yes. what you did there. I see yeah. what you did there. Yeah, okay. There we go. So this is not a very big story, but it's just a story, and I thought I'd mention it and see what you guys thought about this. This is uh, from uh, General Aviation News. Uh, they This is from a few... Oh, no, it's only from a couple weeks ago. Uh, pilot violates TSA designated area while following tower instructions. So apparently, um, apparently this pilot, this GA pilot on a on a VFR f- flight, I believe, um, was um, was directed by by ATC to fly a particular course, and and I think I'm looking in the story here now because I think the story said that the pilot actually recognized that this was going to bust the the uh, the restricted area, it may not not necessarily specifically restricted, but a TSA area, um, and um, and and they reinforced. You know, he said, you know, he said he said what? And they said no, go ahead. And and then he got busted for it. I don't know. What do you think? First of all, is this right? I mean, so if I would, if this same guy, if this same pilot was flying on an IFR IFR plan, all right, and ATC vectored him into a, a, a restricted area of some sort, he'd be legal to do it. Yes. I yeah I I mean I, I what is it ninety one one twenty nine you know can't deviate from unless in the case of an emergency deviate from an ATC instruction um, I I I I think is you know tell them to save the tape and yes, yes. jump on um, live ATC and archive the MP three yourself. Um, I've done that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is another version of the old saw of pilot makes a mistake, pilot dies, controller makes a mistake, pilot, pilot dies. Pilot yeah. dies, yeah. And, and, you know, we're not we're not talking about dead guys or gals here, but the I, I got sent down a closed taxiway once and clipped a wing on a, a post that was sticking out of the ground um for that was one of the reasons for it being closed no it doesn't help that i fly things with 59 and a half foot wingspans um 
gliders. The, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, they, they seem to think that it was enough that I would not be violated for having hit it. And of course, the FAA is not going to take on any responsibility. Although they did call the the ground controllers, supervisors, supervisor in Dallas, the FISDO did. See, yeah, the the guy who was taxiing, he's a lawyer. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> And, and which did absolutely nothing, yeah. and the insurance didn't pay because it wasn't my fault. So quick and easy way to drop a grand on on some some wing metalwork. At least it didn't hit a rib. But yeah, the you know, take good notes. At, you know, as as lawyer guy, take good notes. If it's a recorded um, uh, frequency, get a copy of the recording. Um, if you're damn sure you're in the right, um, I would even say on the frequency, Hey, if you don't mind, you know, marking this tape and you don't want to sound like a jerk. And and this looks like what, what, um, um, ASRS report. It doesn't look like it's, this was not in a brief for the defense in an NTSB enforcement action, but yeah, this is the kind of thing. I mean, frankly, it happens all the time and, um, the, I, I get sent the wrong way or in wrong places all the time at controlled fields and just, you know, working with the controller. This looks like a little bit of butt coverage from the standpoint of the, uh, of the pilot. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- this stuff does happen and hats off to, to the, the pilot who yeah. was in control of the aircraft for, yeah, and let me let me uh, and let me correct my mistake. I, I you guys probably realized this, and you were very kind. Although I don't know why, and you would start now. <laughs> but um, I, I uh, this pilot was not in flight. Uh, he was taxiing. All right, and and he was directed to taxi through an area that was TSA restricted. And and yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so it's actually very typical, very very uh, uh, similar to your story, T- Steve. Well, um, the, the, one of the things going on here is. is uh, I, I, he, I guess he does say which airport he was at, but uh, um, uh, it's not a it's not a major hub. Although it may be a class Bravo in a class Bravo. No, I, it's. I, a, I'm not going to look it up. I don't care. Hang on, it's. Uh, yeah, it's Sonoma County. It's a very nice GA airport up in north of Cal, north of San Francisco. Okay, it, it, it doesn't have. It's got. It's got to have to have a TSA secure area. It's got to have scheduled service. So, uh, don't recall it having scheduled service back when I was there, but things may have changed. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, one of the airports I frequent around here um, five years ago was uh, uh, strictly GA Field. And then one of the, the uh, discount carriers decided it would be a great place to serve uh, southwest and, and uh, southern Florida from. And they were right, but it changed the whole complexion of the airport. And they built a terminal, and they've got they painted little pretty lines on the pavement, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, you, you you can't go into the secure area, the so, uh, secure identification uh, uh, display area is one acronym for it, and uh, just secure ramp is another word, another phrase. Yeah, uh, but you're not supposed to be there. Um, yeah. if, if you were directed by ATC to taxi into that airspace. ATC certainly made a made an error. Um, the big red stripe on the pavement, even if it was uh, somewhat uh, defaced, should have been your first clue. Yeah, 
Yeah, I just checked, and yes, um, they do have uh, airline. Uh, um, yeah, they had. They must have had yeah, airline service um, to have a, a American a TSA area. American Airlines serves it. Um, Alaska Airlines serves it, and okay. uh, or at least they used to. <laughs> I don't know if they still because <laughs> they don't have as many flights as they used with to. With what? It's my joke. <laughs> um, and and something called Avalo, which I'm not, I'm not familiar with Avalo, but uh, uh, yeah, they have they have scheduled Avalo. airline services. So uh, Avalo. Yeah, yeah, Avalo. Let's see now. What does it say about Avalo here? Avalo. Oh, A-V-E-L-O. Correct. According to this, I'm still looking at the uh, the Sonoma County website. Ultra they fly to uh, They fly to uh, 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 Oregon, Bend and Redmond, Oregon. They fly to Burbank, California. They fly to Las Vegas, and they fly to Palm Springs. Um, None of this tells me what aircraft they fly. Yeah. So anyways... All right. Well, see, so uh, be careful out there. Um, you're, you know, I mean, ultimately you're responsible. You got to make sure you're doing the right thing, even if ATC is telling you to do it. Um, I mean, absent a real safety issue. Um, what else here? Um, hang on. Where'd the list go? It's here someplace. I keep losing it this time. There it is right there. And, uh, oh, wait, that's all we had. What else? What time is it? Oh, it is. You, we are you might in. be interested to know that Avalo flies 737s. But of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But of course. All right. I think we've reached the end of our allotted time here. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we finish, before we get out of here? Let's see. Let me look at this. Um, interestingly, um, NetJets... Uh, has implemented a mandatory age 70. It's age 70, I saw that, yeah. Retirement plan, or uh, retirement requirement for its uh, cockpit crews. And I find that highly interesting. It is very interesting. Um, my first thought when I saw that was, so I'm of a couple of different minds on the whole subject of mandatory retirement for, for, for you know, for commercial pilots or, or this kind of pilots. Um um, Captain, uh, Captain, oh, I'm blanking on his name now. Um, the, 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 the heroic pilot. Sully. Sully not Sully. No, no, the other one. Early, much earlier than that. Captain Haynes. Haynes. Yes, Haynes. Haynes. Haynes, um, um, had eventually, who, who managed to save not everybody, but, but a lot of people. He flew this airplane that had no hydraulics and kept it just more or less straight and level and managed to actually set it down on an airport. Um, it didn't go well when they touched down, but not everybody. I mean, a lot of people, people, some people walked away. Yeah. Many people survived, um, including himself um, miraculously. Um, he, and then years later, um, he actually went back on the line and returned to flight years afterwards. Um, but then ultimately he was forced to retire, um, back when it was what, still 60, I think think age 60. And someone asked him whether or not he, how he felt about it. And his answer was, he said he may or may not feel like 60 was the right number, but he felt like there should be a number. There needed to be something that sort of triggered pilots stopping flying other than a bad incident. Um, and so so there's that, whether 70 is a good idea. My question was, and it's too bad we don't have a lawyer around here someplace. <laughs> uh, my question is, it's one thing for the FAA to mandate a, a mandatory retirement an age-related thing, but can a business, can a company mandate an age-related thing for its employees? This they, is my question. Yeah, there are a couple of different things. There is a BFOQ, a bona fide occupational qualification, 
that I don't think is the basis that would that would apply here. Um, and then there is um, certain municipalities and units of government can limit uh, things by age. And here I'm talking police, fire, EMS, um, and things like that that are functions of the government. And then the third thing that would be the... Um, uh, things that are permissible in situations like this where age-related uh, qualification to it. And I'm not a labor lawyer, but age-related um, uh, age, it's, at some number, age becomes a reasonable proxy for physical and intellectual ability. Um, I, I, basically, the law allowing you to take the Al Haynes approach, you know, we can certainly have a conversation about what the number is, but there being a number is not itself problematic as far as I know. Not being a labor lawyer, but right. um, having being slightly piloty in that regard. Yeah. 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 Anyways, I'm sorry, Jeb. Did, did, did we cover what, what was what was interesting to you about this story? What, what? Yeah, just just that um, NetJets, which is an industry leader in the fractional and uh, um, sub, the subpart K operation field, anyway, um, has done this. Uh, it limits other you know, pilots who say make it to 65 with a major carrier. And are and don't feel like they're finished flying. Right, could gravitate towards net jets and yes. fly, you know, virtually without uh, 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 concerns over their age, as long as I can get through a medical. Um, but now that opportunity has been foreclosed, and I, I would suspect once the smoke clears here with, with uh, and this apparently was something that um, NetJets negotiated with its pilots union uh, some time ago. And it, this is not a new thing. It's just coming up on the, the date by which they implemented it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of wonder, once the smoke clears here, uh, if this won't expand to other similarly situated carriers. And by carrier, I mean uh, a fractional operation right, like NetJets. Right. I, I, on the other hand, pilot shortage? I thought we had a pilot shortage. Why are we? Why are we? Well, I can tell you one thing. Yeah. Um, um, Avalo is not going to be hiring seventy-year-olds for to fly their, uh, or even sixty-year-olds uh, to fly their seven threes. They're going to be paying rock bottom, and that means somebody who just made it off of an well, ATR yeah. as first officer and or, or is now uh, just made it off an ATR or a or a Cessna three ten. Yeah, I, and I, I is would... now riding shotgun on a Boeing. Uh, yeah, and I would imagine that even the American and and Alaska pilots flying out of out of uh, uh, Sonoma County are probably not senior. Uh, no, I, I would think not, yeah. unless they just bid that route because you know they have a girlfriend there or something. Well, maybe it it is or a boyfriend. It is, by the way. You realize that it is. Uh, it's uh, Sonoma County Airport. Um, it's its title, its name. It's the uh, Charles Schultz Airport. Oh, yes, it's n- named after the uh, the uh, cartoonist, the originator of. of of Charlie Brown, Snoopy uh, Tower, uh, Snoopy Tower. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that's what they. I don't know. Uh, yeah, he lived up that in that area, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember whether he was a pilot or not. But he definitely lived up in that area, and so uh, they named the airport after him in in memorial. All right. Well, I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. I, I I'm like I said, I'm I have mixed feelings on the whole subject of of uh, age related um, retirement requirements, but. 
but I, I respect what Haynes thought way back when. And so, yeah. anyways, yeah. anything else? We done? Uh, fork time? Fork time? I don't know. Fork time. I think we're done. Thank you. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, what, a, what a pleasure to get together with uh, with both of you. And uh, uh, Steve, thanks for jumping in and and, uh, and visiting with us today. We really, really appreciate it. A pleasure uh, and a privilege. Honored yeah. and flattered. Steve Tupper is a uh, airline transport pilot and a flight instructor in airplanes and gliders. Uh, in the Civil Air Patrol, Steve's a Czech airman and a search and rescue pilot. For the Tuskegee Airmen National Historical Museum in Detroit, Steve is an instructor pilot and air boss, and he also performs and teaches formation, tailwheel, and warbird operations there. Uh, and if all that's not enough, he's the author of The Pilot's Legal Guide, which is available from Pilot Workshops. And you can learn more about Steve's book at pilotworkshop.com. And Jeb Burnside. Jeb, thank you. Jeb is a freelance aviation writer and editor. He is the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and his writing also appears in a variety of other aviation publications. You can find Jeb's work online at aviationsafetymagazine.com, also on avweb.com, aea.net, and others. And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. My personal website is jackhodgson.com, and you can also find me creating non-general aviation content at patreon.com slash jackhodgson and youtube.com slash jackhodgson. And you can find my ebooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the books section. And big thanks to everybody who takes the time to listen to this podcast. If possible, become a supporter of the podcast at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace. Or you can make a PayPal tip jar donation care of the email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. Supporting us with as little as a few dollars each month is a big, big help. And we'd love to hear from you. So you can use that same email address, podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com, to send us your comments and questions. So anyways, Jeb, is there, you have some words of wisdom for us? Yeah, this, this is an oldie but a goodie. And just remember, folks, that it's better to be on the ground wishing you were in the air than to be in the air wishing you were on the ground. All right, wayward aviators, that's enough talking. Let's go flying. <laughs> 